Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the second episode of Talking Drum, Conjo's limited podcast series where we explore the aesthetic and affective links in Africa's musical echo chamber through conversations with practitioners across the continent and the diaspora. My name is Zara Julius, Conjo founder and your host for the season. In today's episode, I jump on a WhatsApp call with Isnea Rodriguez Agromonte, aka DJ Hiwe, an electronic and hip-hop producer from Santiago de Cuba. Um, chatting to us from Centro Havana, Isnea shares his reading of the dynamic musical relationship between Cuba and the African continent. As some of you may know, I've been incredibly invested in developing a relationship with Havana as a city and I guess Cuban culture more broadly over the past six years and so I'm incredibly excited about this conversation. Shout out to Ben Gutierrez at Hape and Orlando Mendez who helped facilitate this collaboration and at the end of this episode Hiwe also shares with us a mini live set of his own music paired with live percussion from rumba drummer Iran Almenor so be sure to stay tuned for that. This conversation took place in both Spanish and English with the help of Havana-based translator Natalie Howard. And so we've made this episode available in both English and Spanish. So if you would like to listen to this episode in Spanish, be sure to just switch over to that. Okay, let's get into it. Talking Drum with Isne Rodriguez Agromante or DJ Hiwe. Okay, awesome. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks so, f- so much for like making the time to make this happen um, across continents uh, from Johannesburg to La Habana. Right on. What a journey. Thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> awesome. So, Hiwe, I wonder if we can start off with, or if you can like introduce yourself um, and yeah, we can go from there. Hello everybody, my name is Isnaí Rodríguez Agramonte. This is my human name because Higüe is in fact an entity that has been present in many stages of my life. Higüe is a being from another planet. I don't know where, but it's an entity that came to planet Earth to discover and learn about sounds, images, emotions, feelings. It began to develop a language to communicate with the inhabitants of planet Earth, using music as a mode of expression to send a message to and interact with Earth's inhabitants. This Higüe then begins learning from different, from different cultures and encounters you know, on Earth and in its journey around the world, translating all this knowledge into sounds, music, melodies, and taking a message to everyone it meets. The Higüe is an entity that takes over my body, transforming me from an ordinary human into a, what many people know me as, you know, DJ Higüe, this being that creates musical stories. Higüe continues to learn, dream, travel and share its message with everyone. So we we met and I don't know if you remember this, but we met when I was um, in La Habana for um, a gig with um, with Hape. And I was currently in Colombia for a residency and doing some research in Colombia. And then our friends at Hape kind of um, you know, Ben at Hape and I were in, in chats and we decided to kind of have a gig in La Habana whilst I was there. 
But then when I arrived, the president of Vietnam died. <laughs> and true to kind of Cuban, like, internationalism and, you know, that kind of, like, solidarity, um, there was a 48 hours mourning, and so the gig couldn't actually happen, right? Um, but then, I, you know, we kind of played a little clandestine um, scenario for, like, friends and family, in a way, in La Habana Vieja. And I remember you were sitting playing uh, like checkers or dominoes or something at a table and I'm not sure if you remember this but that's kind of the connection um, and so when it came to kind of trying to figure out you know how do I bring in like my beloved like Lavana into this project um, you know you kind of seemed like a like a really obvious um, choice. Yeah I think I remember that little get together in Havana. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember. Um, so I wonder if we can chat a little bit about, you know, like you, you said that like, you know, Hiwe is, you know, like a musical entity that lives inside you, right? Um, and I'm wondering if we can speak a little bit about like when that entity was born and from what, right? Wow. Okay, let's do this. The story of this mystical entity is very old. According to Hiwe, it first arrived in Africa many years ago when the continent was ruled by kings. It arrived on this wonderful continent in a, cam, in a kind of spherical capsule. So a small, a small African boy finds this capsule in the forest and takes it with him. This is Higwe's first contact with planet Earth and human beings. But according to the legend, the small boy was stolen from his parents by slave trading colonizers and brought to Cuba on a ship like many other Africans. But the boy was also carrying the small capsule he, have, he had found with him. And that's how the entity arrived here, to the island of Cuba. And more specifically to the eastern part of the island, to Santiago de Cuba, where I was born. And where the first enslaved Africans brought over by the Spanish arrived in Cuba. At some point after that, I came into contact with this entity at a very special place in Santiago de Cuba, known as El Cobre. Code is a very special town because it's home to the Church of the Virgin of Charity in Copper, the patron saint of Cuba. It's a sacred place for Cubans. El Code is also known for being a mining town. It's called Cobre or Copper because of the copper mines that existed there and were worked by enslaved Africans brought over by the Spanish. The place has a very, very special energy to it because it was also the site of an important slave revolt. The revolt was so significant that the King of Spain at the time had no other choice but to grant the Maroons of that town their freedom. This happened well before slavery was like officially abolished by Spain. That's why the place has such an interesting energy to it. There is a place in El Cobre that I used to visit a lot in my youth, where, where the only monument to Maroon communities stands in Cuba. It's on top of the mountain. It's a place I have and continue to visit frequently. Back in the day when I was young, I would go there and that's where I first fell this special connection to this Higwe entity. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got like chills just listening to that because there's so, there's so much overlap between, you know, the way in which you, you know, the way in which like DJ Higwe is conceptualized and my own kind of artistic practice as a, as a sound artist and um, like as a social practice artist and, you know, the, the, the way in which Maroon societies is like really central to that, where there's an understanding that like freedom um, and fugitivity is a 
it's a verb, right? Like freedom isn't a noun, it's a verb. It's something that we have to like strive towards on the daily, right? And um, I feel like this idea of flight um, that, you know, maroon societies really encapsulate. And in South Africa, we call them trosters, um, people who, who formed kind of marooned, um, you know, communities outside of kind of slave plantations or um, slave kind of compounds. Um, you know, uh, it's just, I think like the, the radical practice is really under um, explored. And so it's really, it's really exciting and thrilling to hear that that's kind of central to your practice as a, as a, as a musician, right? Um, and, and it really kind of goes beyond just making dope beats, right? <laughs> like there's a, there's, a, there's a political agenda here, which is exactly why, you know, I suppose you and I are sitting here in conversation, like really trying to think through what it means for music to be able to, on the one hand, travel between the African continent and the African diaspora, specifically in the global south, um, and what is the kind of echo chamber that is created in that process? Um, and I think the echo chamber is really harnessed by this idea of flight and this idea of fugitivity. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's really exciting to me to hear that that's kind of part of, of, of your practice and, and the conception of, of your work. Um, I wonder if, um, you know, we... Yeah, I know you, you have um, a few tracks that you brought with you today um, that kind of speak a lot to this relationship between um, the African continent and, and uh, Cuba broad, like more specifically, um, as something that is obviously, you know, influences in a conversation that is ongoing as opposed to, you know, relegated to just this moment of the Atlantic slave trade. Um, and so I wonder if you could maybe speak to first your understanding of, of you know, the ways in which Africa continues to um, influence Cuba and vice versa. And then maybe you can present like the, the first track that you brought for us. OK, firstly, I'd like to touch on something you said, that music often becomes something more than a cultural phenomenon. It turns into a sociopolitical tool a tool for transformation. And when you start to create music in this way, your creative process also starts to be influenced or guided by this attempt to make or turn music into a tool for transformation. We just spoke about enslaved Africans, about our ancestors who actively resisted these processes of colonization and enslavement. And thanks to the tools they use in those moments, African culture still exists in many parts of the world, like in Cuba, for example. So when we think about this way over time, like how do we learn from the experience of our ancestors and link to what we do is something I think it's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think on the one hand, I'm like totally with you, right? And then on the other hand, part of me and, you know, I'm sometimes I, I feel quite like hesitant to really emphasize like an ancestral connection only because um, that that is definitely uh, like really important and, and and part of the conversation of course right um but there's there's an element that i'm always apprehensive about um which is kind of 
overemphasizing the past on one hand and also romanticizing that kind of liberatory element, like romanticizing struggle through slavery, romanticizing um, the kind of endurance and, and, and how, how do we find a way, whether it's through music or even just in conversation to kind of, you know, have, a, have like a really balanced view of like basically how fucking horrible it was. Um, and, and, you know, whilst people were, you know, engaged in this type of work, it wasn't like a conscious, okay, I'm, I'm now playing music to free myself. Like, I don't think it was necessarily like a conscious um, uh, thing. I think it was like the only way to kind of explore or, in, you know, find some type of flight um, from the terror of the moment. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly within my own practice and, you know, thinking through this musical echo chamber that we're speaking about, like, how do we create that kind of balanced um, approach um, of understanding that, like, in the moment, people were literally just trying to fucking survive. <laughs> They weren't really concerned about whether Zara or Hiwe or whoever was like gonna be inspired by that moment, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's a really important topic that we're not going to get into right now because we've got a lot to talk about. But yeah, it's really interesting. Mm, mm, for sure. I think it's part, part of the, the, the reason why I bring it up is, is because of, um, I think, when people are speaking about. Um, the African diaspora, like the North American voice is so loud and, and, and part of that voice is really romanticizing part of um, like the role of ancestors. I don't know, it's like a kind of romanticization of, of like ancestral knowledge in a way that doesn't um, sometimes feel particularly nuanced. But anyway, I digress. I wonder if we can jump into the first track and, and, and chat about it a bit. Okay, okay. We'll talk about that later because it's a controversial topic and I like controversy. Anyway, I always say that you can't talk about Cuban music without mentioning Africa. Like, it's inconceivable not to. When you talk about Cuban music, you're talking about Africa and, of course, other places that have played a part in the sociocultural development of Cuba as a nation, be it Spain, other Caribbean countries, Haiti, France, and especially Africa. And this influence has been there from the beginning, and I'm sure it will be there in the future. This is undeniable influence that I know Africa had and has and will continue to have on Cuba's cultural evolution, especially and specifically in its music. And in the same way, Cuba has had an important influence on Africa. <clears throat> there has been what you could describe as feedback toward Afri towards Africa from processes that have taken place in Cuba. The music has returned to its roots, almost gone back to its birthplace, but transformed by the processes that have occurred in Cuba, which obviously is a different context from the African one, which have translated and transformed the sounds, the culture, but at the same time have returned them to Africa, to their place of origin. So the first, the first song I would like to recommend is Descarga Cubana, which features on the LP of a Cuban musician, an important double bass player from the 50s, known as Cachao.
really interesting and people really underestimate the influence that like yes whilst Africa has you know African rhythms have influenced Cuban music and, and fine vitality throughout almost all the genres within within Cuba both past and present um, there's also like an ongoing influence that Cuban music has on the African continent right like if you think through um, if you think through, you know, Guajira in Senegal um, and the way like Mambo and Salsa have influenced, you know, Senegalese music as well as, you know, the music of Burkina Faso. Um, and even, you know, going down into, into the Congo. And this is all kind of during the independence era, right? Where, um, you know, the cu Cuban sounds, especially, you know, the, the types of sounds that are even present within this track that you just mentioned, um, you know, really infiltrate different types of revolutionary music um, on the continent during independence era, um, you know, like the 70s, late 70s um, on the continent. So that's super interesting. I mean, just for folks who, you know, are probably unfamiliar with the kind of genres, um, I mean, Cuba's got like a huge wealth of, you know, musical genres. Like, I wonder if you can maybe just explain a little bit about you know, what's really happening in this track um, um, from a kind of genre perspective. Um, the history of Cuban music is really interesting, above all because of the sociopolitical processes that have occurred in the country, especially in the 50s, when Cuba was a metropolis, a kind of neo-colony of the, of the United States. Cuba and the U.S. have a very close relationship, political and economical and cultural. Exchanges between the two countries were very strong at that time. We are constantly influencing one another. In the 50s, the music scene was really booming, with many U.S. musicians coming to Cuba, and an interesting exchange starts to occur between what was happening musically in the two different contexts. We're talking about the 50s, when jazz music started to have a really significant impact on the music scene. For example, artists like Nat King Cole came to Cuba as well as other important instrumentalists who came to play in the grand hotels that used to exist in Havana and their music began to influence the Cuban musicians. In fact, there is a story which epitomizes this relationship, this cultural connection, a collaboration between two extremely important musicians of the era, one from the US and the other one from Cuba. I'm talking about the famous jazz trumpet player D.C. Gillespie and Chano Pozo, one of the greatest Cuban percussionists of the 50s. Chano Pozo was an Afro-Cuban percussionist, born and raised in the poor neighborhoods of Central Havana, in whose veins ran the blood of the drum, rumba, the sounds of those African drums inherited from his ancestors. So Dizzy Gillespie and Chano Pozo meet up while Chano is in New York, looking for opportunities as most Cuban musicians did at that time. So Dizzy and Chano meet, and Dizzy invites Chano to play in his jazz band, and they create a song called Manteca. For those of you who are listening to this podcast, I recommend you find and listen to it because it represents what we today know, know as Latin jazz. The day that Chan and Dizzy wrote that song is the day that Latin jazz was born. So you see how important this connection between the US and Cuba is. And that's what unites these two musicians in the influence of African music and culture. On the one hand, you have Dizzy playing jazz created by Afro-Americans and Afro-descendants in New Orleans. And on the other one, you have Chano in Cuba with African drums and above all, sounds of rumba. So you see how the fusion of these 
two elements with a common heritage gave way to Latin jazz, and this song, Descarga Cubana, is one of the best examples of that style of music which is so popular around the world today. In this song, the percussion by Tata Guinness, who followed on from Chano Pozo, continued this style of Afro-Cuban percussion rooted in the music that came from Africa. That is why Descarga Cubana is such an important song within the musical panorama of Latin jazz. It represents a fusion of African-American jazz with Afro-Cuban percussion. Okay, dope. I mean, I want to yeah. go into the next track. Okay, the next song is Juana 1600 by Iraquere.
This track is like, I mean, firstly, Irakere almost doesn't really uh, require much of an introduction. I mean, they're um, major. Um, and obviously, they're one of those bands that, you know, was able to kind of cross over um, in some ways um, from just the kind of, you know, from, you know, the Caribbean also into, I suppose, what would be like the American kind of music scene. I mean, they won a, a Grammy for Best Latin Recording um, at some stage, I think in like 1980 or something. Um, but this track has got so many levels to it that are just so exciting, like the percussion element, but the bass is also like insane. And then it becomes like really insane further down the line. Um, it just has so many different like um, stages within, within this one track. So I would love to hear you know, your kind of take on, 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 on this? Of all Irakere songs, and there's a lot of good ones, I would say in fact that they are all good, but there are always some which stand out among the rest, and one of those is Juana Mil Seiscientos. It's a song you hear once and never forget. It has an incredible energy to it. Right from the start with the bata drums, it hooks you. And the layers of the song begins begin to build as it goes on, and it just gets better and better, accumulating in an incredible climax at the very end. Of course, you also have to take into account the incredible musicians playing alongside Chucho Valdez on the sax, trumpet, guitar, drums, and bass. It's an incredible song, and when I hear it, 
it's like a liberation anthem saying, get up, stand up, you're alive. It's a song that makes you want to let loose. That's why I always recommend this song, as well as for its incredible level of composition and interpretation, of course. When you listen to this song, it's like hearing the same energy or feeling, the type of energy that you experience listening to Fela Kuti. It's the same kind of vibe, but coming from different contexts. Mm. I think the, the big difference being that, like, I mean, whilst the song in the beginning has so much, like, aesthetic space, right? Like, I mean, and this, I think, is like a big um, recurring thing in, in Cuban music, kind of like across the board, where, you know, I think like Cuban music just likes to fill up space as much as possible um, and, and, and is often able to do that, like in, in such a kind of effortless way, where it's almost like there's no room to kind of squeeze in a piece of paper almost, you know, um, which is in this, in this song specifically, like done so effectively. Um, I think um, I want to just maybe just chat a little bit about the bata drums really briefly and, um, you know, the ways in which they're used both in, in Nigeria and also in, in Cuba, specifically within, you know, Afro-Cuban kind of uh, religion, I suppose, like in Santeria. Um, and, and the ways in which, you know, that, those melodies and, and those, well, rather those rhythms um, with the, of the bata drum kind of leaked into popular music, right? Um, and often when we speak about the connection between, between Cuba and, and the African continent, it is this kind of connection on the spiritual level with regards to Santeria or Yoruba religion. Um, and I guess maybe my question to you would be like, I'm often wondering if this Nigeria-Cuban connection is like overemphasized, um, and yeah, what what kind of um, thoughts you have around that, and if there's you know other geographies that are maybe deeply underplayed um, in terms of their influence on on, on Cuban music um, historically and, and and today as well. I mean, obviously uh, Congo is one of them, but I mean, I wonder if there's any other other thoughts you might have on that. Well, I'm not a researcher or a musicologist. But I'm pretty sure that the most important instrument to have arrived here from Africa are the bata drums because of their significance and importance within Cuban society. Not just in the music, but also from the religious standpoint. The Yoruba religion is the most widely practiced in Cuba. It's the most popular because the majority of enslaved Africans who arrived to Cuba came from that kingdom. That's why it's the most well known around the country. And we can't talk about religion in Cuba, and especially Yoruba religion, without talking about bata drums or consecrated drums, as they are also known. Obviously, an important part of religious ceremonies, they're central to the religion. And here in Cuba, we have adopted the bata drums as if they were our own, to the extent that some people even say that bata drums were created in Cuba because they're so closely connected to Cuban culture and above all to Cuban music. That's why so many people think bata drums are originally from Cuba. Musicians like Irakere play a fundamental part in this process of incorporating traditionally religious music and instruments into popular music. They took this sound out of a religious context and brought it to people, otherwise outside the sphere of Afro-Cuban religion. That's why bata drums are, were, and still are an extremely important element within Cuban culture in general. This doesn't mean that Yoruba is the only spiritual system that exists in Cuba. Many people think it's the only African religion in Cuba, but that's wrong. Other ethnic groups, you know, arrived to Cuba, 
not just the Yoruba people, the Arab from parts of the Congo and many other African kingdoms. And you can see this is the different spiritual systems in Cuba where the Yoruba religions dominate. But if you go to the east of the island, for example, you can find phenomena like the Cordo worshippers, Santeria, and lots of crossover between the different religions that arrived to Cuba at the time. They mixed, they fused, and they gave way to new religious expressions. In the east of the island, the presence of religions brought over from Haiti by enslaved Africans who arrived with their French masters after the Haitian Revolution is really, really interesting. In this way, we do place also an important part in religious practices in Eastern Cuba. There also exist other religions in the west of the island, in places like Pinar del Rio. There are a lot of different and diverse religions and spiritual practices in Cuba brought over from different ethnic groups, but where, like I said before, the Yoruba religion dominates, is the most popular and also the most well-known in the country. It's even most, the most widely represented in art. I'm talking about music, visual arts, dance, everything. The Yoruba religion really dominates. But that doesn't mean there aren't other religious expressions, which are also important within the panorama of Cuban faith system. Mm. Okay, yeah, that's super interesting. And like, um, yeah, really helps kind of frame, you know, Cuba as an island and how it's, you know, the influences are multiplicitous, right? Like, it's not just, um, like, I often say, like, in South Africa, like, Johannesburg and Cape Town are not South Africa. Like, yes, they're extremely, like, metropolitan cities that um, in many ways don't really represent what, like, the average South African in smaller towns are really feeling, experiencing um, what culture looks like in those spaces. And I think the same can be said for Havana, where like Havana is not really Cuba, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's super different to all the other, other parts of, of the island. And I think people often forget that. And so, you know, speaking to the ways in which, um, you know, like musical history looks different and, and spiritual history looks different in different parts of the island, even if, you know, the, you know, Cuba as an island or Cuba as a country is like relatively small, like it's also, incredibly nuanced um so that's super helpful but i wonder if we can jump onto the next track um yeah i'm excited about this one so the next song i would recommend as we continue our musical journey from africa is asojin by a band called synthesis which has been really important within the history of cuban music it's development and evolution over time so let's listen to asojin Tambo mai tono me, 
first kind of thought around this track is that it really reminds me of like Angelique Kijo for some reason. Um, she's a really, you know, renowned um, kind of singer songwriter from the African continent. She's won like multiple Grammys. Um, she's from Benin. Um, and it, it kind of reminds me a lot of the kind of music that came out from her in like the 80s, early 90s. Um, and so I'm wondering on the one hand, what the, um, you know, when this track was released, first of all, um, and, you know, the kind of influences of this track seem to be really current or contemporary for that moment, right? Um, like, it sounds to me that they're drawing from sounds beyond just the island and beyond just this kind of ancestral connection or this historical connection of, say, the bata drums or the ways in which African music or African rhythms have evolved within Cuba on the island. But it sounds really kind of Afropolitan, um, this track to me. And like super, <laughs> super, basically it sounds like my childhood. Like I was listening to Angelique Kijo and all this kind of like African music on the 80s um, uh, when I grew up. Um, so yeah, I'm really interested. Asujin was released in the 1990s, I think, 1987 to be precise. This song forms part of a series of three albums that Synthesis produced called Ancestros. Asujin features on the first of this trilogy. At the time they recorded this song, rock and roll and European music was having a strong impact on the island, above all among young Cubans. And you can hear this influence in Asujin, how Synthesis begins to play in a experiment with contemporary sounds of that time, the late 80s, I mean. And this African musical legacy, spotlighting Yoruba chants and songs brought over from Africa and the Bata drums, and fusing them with these contemporary sounds that were popular in Cuba during those years, which culminated in not only the creation of Asojin, but the entire first album in the trilogy, Ancestros. Mm. 
Yeah, you can totally hear it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, even just like thinking about this connection between, well, at least for me, like the aesthetic connection that I'm making between this track and Anjali Kijo, like a lot of her influences were, you know, like Jimi Hendrix was like a huge influence for her. So was Carlos Santana, so was Miriam Makeva, Celia Cruz as well, you know, um, James Brown, like these were all like heavy influences for her. Um, and it sounds like, yeah, there's like this really interesting network that's happening. Um, and obviously that was, you know, during the time that Rock and Espanol was like massive throughout Latin America, not even just um, Cuba, the island, right? Um, but, you know, this brings me to kind of think through contemporary influences um, of... Actually, I lie. Let's jump into the next track. I'll bring this question up after the next track. I mean, another thing is also like the influence of like Caribbean Zouk as well, right? Um, and the synthesizer and the way it was used in Zouk, like, I'm sure like leaking in... You know, and I'm thinking like Guadalupe, like that kind of region, even like some Haitian Zouk as well, you know, and how the synthesizer and the keyboard is really central to that music and how that like influences, I, I'm assuming, like the general region. These were processes that occur simultaneously. I mean, the influence of the sounds coming out of Europe, the resurgence of the synthesizer, electroacoustic and electronic music and how it arrived in different contexts to the Caribbean, Africa, Latin America and made an impact in each one of these contexts and gave way to different musical phenomenon or genres. So we can find these common points like psychedelic from music from Peru, the chicha and how you see those same psychedelic guitar sounds in music from Senegal and Mali. And we also find it in the Caribbean, like you were saying, in genres like souk and soca, which also start to make an impact on music that was popular in the 70s and 80s around the globe and in Cuba as well with the examples we've just spoken about. So the next one we're going to listen to is called Canto para Changa y Alegua by the band Orishas, one of the most important hip hop groups in Cuba, by the way, from their debut album Alo Cubano, released in 1998 and which went to be a global hit. Let's listen to Canto para Changa y Alegua. <laughs> Como un oso. 
perezoso, bien perezoso, cocoso, fogoso. Santa Bárbara bendita es tu chango, guía por el buen camino a tus hijos como yo. Dale la luz, señora de virtud, fuerza, esperanza en ti, confianza con tu espada, avanza. Mi mico tan fuerte como el machete, boom. Mi son tan dulce como el melado, chumi, soy un, soy un morichas, tu boca cierra. Te enviado por Olofi para gobernar la tierra. del año de ground, para los que han sido traidores no durarán un round, yo protegido me encuentro por la naturaleza y con firmeza, para todos los buenos donaré mi inteligencia, que el fruto de la paciencia está en tus manos, mucho trabajo y sufrimiento a los orillas le ha costado, poder estar en el lugar que se han ganado, aunque montones de veces tropiece con ese que crece, de ese que fallece, a veces docenas de veces, veces no merece la paz que acontece, aunque trece, para los orillas su coca no crece, recordarás mi voz, antes que reces, antes que reces, Great. I mean, I'm really glad that you brought um, Orishas as a as a track, right? Um, so when I first went to went to Cuba, m one of the first people I met was um, a mutual friend of ours, Orlando, and um, I think. I think maybe even the first time I met um, met him was in a kind of um, what would you call it like a block party in Regla on a Sunday um, that I know he used to that he used to um, co-host with Obsession I think is, is the group and from there you know he kind of you know introduced me to Orishas and a couple of other friends did as well um, as kind of like this you know, like the most prominent kind of hip hop group to kind of come out of out of Cuba. Um, and so I wonder if you can maybe just like give us some, yeah, like why you chose this track. And I mean, of course, Orisha is really speaking to the Orishas, the saints of, um, you know, from Yoruba religion. But I wonder if you can maybe expand a little bit more. I chose it because 
it clearly shows the influence of African music and not just African music in general, but African music, African religious music within Cuban sounds and the relationship between music and religion. And this song is a clear example of this. Orishas is a very important group, as is their album, because it reflects how, at the time, in the 90s, new musical genres were arriving to Cuba, in this case rap, which came from the US and started to become popular among the Cuban youth, and how at the same time the group's intention to preserve or keep alive, you may say, this African legacy from within new musical expressions emerging around the, on the island. Here we see a repeat of what happened in the 70s with Irakere and other groups influenced by funk. Influence that came from Europe and the US, just like in the 50s and the song we played at the start of this conversation. So at the time, at the time, Orishas was forming part of this legacy, the evolution of Cuban music while preserving the influence and richness of African music on the island. And this song on their debut album, Alo Cubano, is for me one of the best examples of this process or this musical moment that we were experiencing as young Cubans in the mid to late 90s. I want to add something else. It's important to highlight that rap music and hip hop, given its political dimension and its importance for the Afro-descendant community, for, for the African diaspora and the world, also serve as a kind of lens for Afro-Cuban youth to look at the roots as hip hop music started to raise questions among many Afro-descendants about where we come from and where we're going. And hip hop was central to this process. And it was the same in Cuba. Rap in the 90s was like a voice, a new voice actually, for Afro-Cuban youth to express, to express ourselves and use rap music to send a message. So in the sense, I think it's really important how making decidedly Afro-Cuban rap became important for how we young black Cubans, that is to say, finding our own voice as Afro-Cubans within this global culture which we today know as hip-hop, and this song is an example of this process. Mm -hmm. I guess my, my, my question, like, in response, though, is, like, the extent to which rap um, or hip-hop has kind of gained uh, prominence in Cuban music, like, generally. Like, I, from what I understand, like, a lot of, you know, like, rap musicians were kind of banned by, um, I suppose, like, the cultural ministry, right? Um, because of the ways in which it, it, it facilitated expressing, you know, an overwhelming discontent um, of the time. And even, you know, today. Uh, let's jump into the next track, I think. The next song comes from the east of the island. We're going to take a musical journey to the east of the country and listen to a song called Bacoso by Oscar Delgado and Cameron Cuba, two urban music artists from Santiago de Cuba. Yeah. 
de Wiro, heredero de la conga, yo soy un martillo fino, música de negro fino, afrocubano el estilo, santaguero, sandunguero, guerrero como los maceos guajiro, un sonido palestino que dice quién somos y de dónde venimos, para los bailadores del mundo, otro para los afro-latinos, fuego, 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 fuego hermano, este ritmo suena bueno hermano, bendecido por el cielo hermano, en mi tierra no se puede hermano. For me, there's very like evident reggaeton elements in it, right? Um, but it also does something different because there isn't that kind of dembo beat, right? Um, and of course, like reggaeton, we all know. I mean, maybe people don't know. Who knows? But you know, reggaeton has like inherently, inherently like black working class roots um, from you know, um, Panama and um, Puerto Rico as well and in, in Cuba as well. And then, you know, today with people like J Balvin or um, what have you, Bad Bunny as an example, like reggaetons become like the super pop, I almost call it popaton. <laughs> you know, it's kind of been hijacked in some ways by whiteness. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really interested to hear like the kind of, yeah, your reading of this track. Well, I wouldn't call Bacoso a reggaeton song. In fact, I helped produce the track and there was no intention to make reggaeton or draw any reggaeton influences. I think the main influences in this song are from African music, especially Afrobeats and contemporary African music that arrived in Santiago in the mid-2000s. The thing is, it's easy to confuse the contemporary African rhythms with reggaeton because of this process of mutation that the genre has undergone over the recent years, especially in Cuba, being heavily influenced by contemporary African music. Reggaeton artists are taking elements of contemporary African music and incorporating them into their own music. So this song isn't actually a reggaeton song. In fact, it's the complete opposite. The thing is that it contains elements like the clave, which comes from Africa, and which is also now widely used in Cuban reggaeton or this new style called reparto, you know, ghetto, underground music. These two sounds often get confused. So in Bacoso, we can hear a mix of folk music from Santiago, Cuba, with elements of rumba, as well as the sound of Afrobeats of contemporary African music, which began to arrive in Cuba 
via the African students that come to the island to study every year, a lot of whom stay in the east of the country, in Santiago de Cuba. So that was actually going to be like my next kind of question. I mean, there's so much going on. For me, when I hear this song, like, sure, there's Afrobeats, but there's, I think it goes back to the point that I was making earlier around the ways that, you know, music in Cuba is so full. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it, but it's like, let's put as much into the track as possible, <laughs> you know, where I think, like, Afrobeats still has so much more space than what I'm hearing on this track. Um, and so that's why I'm, I'm kind of hearing what I suppose sometimes people call cubatón or reparto in this track um, because of how full it is. Um, and I think there's also even an element of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with sal salsa choque, from the Pacific coast of Colombia, um, which in many ways I see as, you know, like Colombia's answer to Afrobeats with the S uh, at the end um, as well. Um, I think this was kind of going to be a question that I, that I really wanted to ask you is around the ways in which, there, you know, there are so many medical students coming from Africa. South Africa especially has a really strong relationship with Cuba in terms of like the medical um, assistance that we kind of give each other. South Africa has a, like a shortage of medical students and so we train, a shortage of, a shortage of, of um, doctors, so we train a lot of South African students in, in, in Cuba and, and Cuba obviously as part of, you know, medical Cuban like internationalism sends doctors to South Africa. And actually yesterday or, or two days ago, um, our president nominated Cuban doctors in South Africa for the Nobel Peace Prize, which I think is a little bit controversial if you ask me, um, in, in response to the global pandemic. But, you know, like that's how, how, how insistent we are on this relationship in this one area. I mean, one could argue that the relations could really go beyond just medicine and doctors, um, but, you know, which I think is really needed and important. But, I mean, I've always been interested in the ways in which like these students, you know, whether it's South African students more specifically or students from the rest of the continent are really infiltrating music scenes um, in contemporary Cuba um, across the island. Um, so this is great that this track really answers to that question. Um, but I'm also wondering like other ways in which these students are beyond just the musical influences to Cuban musicians, but are there students that are actually taking more of like a center stage um, position in terms of like performing or, you know, acting as MCs or producers and stuff. Um, and yeah, are there ways in which like these students are actually taking more of like a, a front and center role? Collaboration between Cuba and South Africa is well known, but I think that both countries could be more ambitious, expand existing agreements and also direct them toward different areas. This fear of culture above all, because it's really interesting how two places that have had this political relationship for such a long time, and yet it hasn't moved into the culture sphere. It's been, it's been really interesting how many of the African students, not just the ones from South Africa, but from other African countries like Angola, Mali and Senegal, have found a space within the independent urban music scene in Cuba, and above all in the rap scene of the late 90s. And, and that link there is still very present in urban generals like Reparto and Reggaeton, and how these students have managed to connect and collaborate with urban musicians. Lots, lots of African students have recorded albums in 
Cuba before returning to the countries of origin and have carried on making music alongside their profession as a doctor or engineer. Some have even found success back home, which is really interesting because they have gone home and continued to make rap music, for example, but rap music with a Cuban influence and have been a hit in their communities. It's really interesting how this relationship transpired and the outcomes of it. But it would be even more successful if these kinds of exchanges were also included in the policies of both countries. I mean, they should try to implement bigger cultural exchange projects between South Africa and Cuba, for example, so that Cuban artists can travel to South Africa and vice versa, because there is a lot of overlap between general styles and things from a creative and musical st standpoint, I think, from both countries. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> um, just because, like, you know, obviously Cuba played a really big part in, say, like the independence of, um, of Angola. Um, Cuba also assisted, you know, South African, um, you know, activists when they were in exile, um, obviously with the help of the USSR. Um, you know, Cuba also, you know, there's this relationship between Mozambique and, and, and Cuba, but it all just kind of stops at fucking medicine. <laughs> so, like, it started with, like, this really interesting kind of collaboration and, and having, like, these really clear um, political ideals of um, revolution and freedom, and then it just stopped, and then it just kind of only exists within, like, medical freedom, potentially, if that's even a thing, which South Africa doesn't really have. There's no such thing as, like... Um, really good healthcare here it's not really um universal um and you know the the rhythms there's so much connection between south african rhythms or you know different types of african rhythms from around the continent and and, and cuba um and also just the, the roles in which culture like the ways in which culture manifests within these different contexts i think is really interestingly similar um, and uh, the importance that we as individuals, not so much, you know, the government, but like we as individuals place on these things. And even the ways in which we mourn, the ways in which we mourn our dead, like obviously, you know, at the moment, it's such a, an overwhelming time of mourning for so much of us, like for so many of us. And the ways in which we mourn are like so inherently similar that for me speaks to like a kind of soul connection that is really un, un, unexplored. And yeah, I completely agree. And this is part of why we even doing this, this project as Konjo is to find ways to be more intentional about these conversations and these connections without having to go through the global north in order to do so, right? Um, because historically, if, if a musician in South Africa wanted to collaborate with a musician in Cuba, chances are we would have to meet in, in England to be able to do that, um, or the US or, or what have you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's so interesting that you're talking about these students and the ways in which their music, it's like the, the musical echo chamber just like never stops. Um, you know, if these students are taking their records back to whichever countries they're practicing medicine in, um, and then finding success, and then that again bleeds into whatever society they're in. It's like super, yeah. I like geek out on this stuff. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's let's jump into the last track. Okay, to run off these tracks, we're going to listen to a song called Dengeli by DJ Higwe. 
which is a really representative of the tropical Afrofuturism style. So let's listen to Dengele. <laughs> Venga, 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 venga,
track is great. I wonder if you can, um, you know, explain super briefly, like what, you know, Afrofuturismo Tropical um, is. Tropical Afrofuturismo is the musical language created by DJ Higwe to connect and communicate with Earth's inhabitants. It's basically the connection that exists between the sounds born in Africa, which we also know are everywhere in the world and have inspired many musical genres across the globe, and an interesting journey around the Caribbean. With these sounds that have been transformed by other genres and other cultural contexts, all this mix of sounds and melodies, but from a futuristic perspective, looking toward music in the future, but the departure point for this journey is always from the traditional, the folk, from our roots. That's Tropical Afrofuturismo. I mean, it's interesting because like, even when you introduced yourself earlier, I mean, the whole time I'm thinking, okay, the sounds like a Sun Ra, <laughs> like taking Sun Ra's kind of Afrofuturism and Sun Ra's kind of like cosmology in a way and, and situating it within um, La Habana or within Cuba. Um, and the Caribbean more, more, more broadly, which is interesting because I think often that the, like that kind of geographical context is not really considered within this broader kind of Afrofuturism um, conversation, which is obviously really prominent in the African diaspora. I mean, on the continent, there's a lot of, I suppose we, we see Afrofuturism um, as fairly contested. Um, I think the argument is, I mean, this is obviously not what you're saying, but um, Afrofuturism as, a, as an idea is kind of saying, like projecting ourselves as potential aliens, right? Um, because we've never been afforded the opportunity to be human as people who've been racialized as black. Um, and I, I suppose on the continent, there's, it's quite contested because there's an insistence of like, no, we're human. Can we please be human before we're aliens, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to hear the, the ways in which um, that is really like situated within your own practice um, in ways that are, from my perspective, a lot less problematic. Um, the idea of tropical Afrofuturismo just came to me. I don't know how, just did. Anyway, like, thank you so much for, for your time and for all of this. I, I just, um, you know, it's obviously required a lot of patience with translation and, and everything. So thank you so much um, for, you know, sharing, sharing your, your thoughts and your, your, your brain with us a little bit. Um, I'm super excited to hear what you have in store for us um, as a little mini set. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have a, like a musical comrade in, 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 in Cuba who's, you know, pushing for the same things that I'm kind of pushing for. So. Gracias, gracias. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share my experience. I think this type of initiative is really important, this journey we are taking together, and important not just for us, but for anyone listening. And even though we're in different geographical contexts, it's a lovely way of coming together. Because right now, I feel like we are together in the same room, sharing the same reality right here, right now. You know, sharing ideas, thoughts, experiences, dreaming. and. It's great that we are doing this, and I hope that our conversation serves, above all, for future generations.
I hope you enjoyed that incredibly generous offering from DJ Hiwe. Uh, this episode was co-produced by myself, Sarah Julius, and Isne Rodriguez Agromonte, with support from a breathing space ground from Prohovish Johannesburg, with production assistance from Ben Gutierrez, and translation assistance from Natalie Howard. Music for this podcast was produced by Bully and voiceover for the English version of this episode was done by Julio San Clemente and voiceover for the Spanish version of this episode was done by Beatriz Pignatelli. If you would like to be part of an outdoor socially distant live taping of the final episode of the series, be sure to go to conjo.co.za to buy a ticket for Talking Drum where you'll get to see a live band led by Tomi Mojorosi interpret some of the sounds shared throughout the series. The event is at Farmhouse at 58 in the Cradle of Humankind outside of Johannesburg on the 17th of April. Be sure to follow Hiwe at DJ Hiwe on Instagram. And as always, you can find links to all the content discussed in this episode in the show notes on konjo.co.za. That's K-O-N-J-O dot Please share and rate this podcast five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. Next week, we'll be joined by renowned South African radio host and tastemaker Brenda Sisane in Johannesburg, where we'll speak about the unbounded essence of South African music. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>